0: The great founders are those that are able to kind of cut through the noise.
1: Culture really starts at the very top, meaning the board level. It's kind of
0: like when your parents say, like, you'll know when you get older. Yeah, you'll know when Mm. you're a founder.
2: Welcome to another episode of Venture Visionaries. Today, I'm joined by two remarkable individuals who are at the forefront of revolutionizing how modern leadership, management, and people skills are grown in a digital world. Savina Perez and Tom Griffiths are the co-founders of Hone, a live learning platform designed for the contemporary organizational landscape. Now, I'll be honest. I am a big fan of Tom and Savina, so much so that it wasn't long after I first met them that I could call them up asking to become an advisor on their startup. It wasn't just that I believed in their vision for learning, I believed in them. Savina Perez, the chief customer officer of Hone, stands out by standing proud. As a Latinx lesbian woman co-founder, Savina not only navigates the complexities of this tech industry with finesse, but also brings a fresh, empowering perspective to the startup leader table. Despite her non-traditional background, Savina has emerged as a quintessential leader in the tech domain. And her vision always stems from a deep-rooted passion to democratize access to training and education in the workplace that I find inspiring. Then there's Tom, CEO of Hone. Tom's journey is equally fascinating. Before Hone, Tom was the chief product officer and co-founder of the gaming unicorn, FanDuel, where he contributed a decade shaping a new industry and nurturing a thriving international team. His background is in computer science and machine learning, and Tom's lifelong passion for education, technology, and business found a sweet spot in Home. He lives in San Diego with his family, and Tom is an avid speaker and writer on leadership development, access to learning, management training, and the future of work. And while either of these individuals separately are truly impressive, it's the ease and power with which they work together as one team that truly stands out. Their synergy was born out of a chance meeting at a conference, and the rest, as they say, is history. In my conversation with them today, they'll delve into the origins of Hone reflect on their partnership, growth, and the importance of fostering strong customer relationships. They'll also discuss the ethos of building a strong culture, how Hone's unwavering commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion show up today, and they'll share invaluable insights for budding entrepreneurs. As we navigate through the paradoxes of entrepreneurship with Savina and Tom, we'll explore how their journey with Hone is contributing to shaping an inclusive, educated, and skill-rich future of work. So without further ado, let's dive into this enriching conversation. As always, I'm Thomas. Let's go. Could one of you share the origin story of Hone and then how your backgrounds led you to disrupt the corporate training industry?
1: I'd started a, a previous company in the gaming space called Fangio. And we'd grown that through a cycle of hyper growth over a period of you know, six to 10 years. And I just really seen the importance of great power skills or people skills, sometimes called soft skills, and how those were the difference makers for the teams that were succeeding in the good times and that were weathering the storm in the challenging times. And so just felt like we needed better ways to train people on those critical skills, yet didn't see the exact solution we wanted in the market. So I left after a decade to go build that uh, with Hone. I think I'd always personally felt drawn to education because my mom was a public school teacher. And when I was on my PhD program, I really loved teaching. So Foundry was a great apprenticeship for me to learn how to build a, a great business and product. But, uh, but Hone feels like the, you know, the passion and the, the calling for me.
0: For me, Hone is a personal passion. I went from IC to VP in my own career with little access to formalized training or coaching. If you think about that, how much more effective could I have been earlier on? Had I had those opportunities for development Mm -hmm. as I thought, I think about my manager journey, et cetera. And also as a manager of multiple teams, it was my responsibility to carve out pathways for my direct reports. Therefore, learning and development was a key factor in providing those opportunities and retaining that talent. You know, ultimately there was very little in the market at that point. I would say, you know, in like, you know, 2010, 2013, 2015, that was not only accessible, but economical and effective. And so I'd like to say that it just came to me immediately overnight that we could build something like this. But I think that over the course of time, I was able to understand some of the needs, uh, what would make a great solution to mitigate some of the challenges I I had personally, but also as I think about developing my teams. And when I was able to meet Tom, uh, he also had a similar vision for Mm. a product and we were able to build what we now have in
1: market today.
2: How did you find each other? And what is it that each of you saw in the other person that had you think, you know, this might be someone I want to build this with?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, like all great stories, it was in Las Vegas. Um, (laughs) a conference together, shout out HR Transform, where we were both, I think, scoping out the landscape, networking, getting to know people. And uh, we really hit it off after an introduction through uh, a mutual friend talking about, I think, originally access to great training. So, you know, know, shared that part of her story. Similarly, for someone dropping out of grad school and starting companies immediately, I didn't have any formal workplace training. So just the idea that we could get life-changing development experiences to more and more people. I think that was just kind of the the nucleus of what connected us. I think then there was the skills part uh, where I'd come from a product engineering background, uh, B2C. Savina, come from sales and marketing background, B2B. That felt like a really nice compliment.
0: Oh, my goodness. Imagine if I came back and said something completely opposite. <laughs> <laughs> what really drove me or excited me about partnering Tom was his passion around the space and I Mm -hmm. think it was something that uh, very early on you know we weren't necessarily just talking about a specific product or product features it was about Mm -hmm. impact what did we want to leave behind and I know his story from VanDuel and obviously he knows mine as as I led uh, several or growth at several venture backed organizations I think we were excited about the opportunity to really have true impact uh, with a solution not just build something that was a widget a typical SaaS solution etc. Besides that, what was really exciting to me, just given Tom's success, is the fact that he doesn't bring ego to the table. That has been incredible as we think about a partnership, as we think about communication, as our roles continue to evolve, you know, as we grow the organization and we hit the, ne- the you know, next milestone, the next milestone. And that's challenging. I mean, I- I'd like to say that's easy to find in somebody, you know, with entrepreneurs, you know, you have to have a certain gravitas and, you know, a confidence going in because there's a mm. lot, there's a lot to the journey, yeah. uh, but being able to partner with him and, and again, that open communication, our ability to listen to one another and have that respect and willingness to adapt and grow, I think has been instrumental in our growth as as a partnership, as Mm. as co-founders, but also as it relates to the growth of the business and our teams.
2: I'm curious if you had to, if you think of the one lesson, which is a hard thing to do, but like the one lesson that your early experiences gave you that really influenced the way that you've led and grown Hone.
0: You know, my experience has taught me that to be successful, you need to have an exceptionally close and strong relationship to your customers. It's not reaching out once a year for renewal or for expansion. It's not its not there just to ask for money, but checking in as often as possible to understand their experiences using the product, Mm -hmm. feedback they might have on what could potentially make it better. Over the course of time, really being able to meet folks within the organization so that you're multi-threading. So you're building relationships with multiple key stakeholders within that organization.
1: For me, what comes to mind is really being intentional from day one about the culture and mission that we're trying to create. Right at the start of home. sat with Sabina and the early team to define what kind of company do we really want to build? Here, the you know, mission orientation, as we talk about those early days, but that stayed true all the way through because we've had an explicit mission to drive growth. human connection for teams everywhere which is intentionally linked to you know the the spark that we all had at the start but also you know broad in that we can uh, manifest that in different ways the other big part i would say was the definition of the values really early on we wanted to keep a small number of really memorable values and really optimized for memorability, even mm. above everything, because if people don't remember them, then it doesn't work. So we opted for five Cs, character, competence, compassion, camaraderie, and customer. I just had four votes. Sabina made me add the camaraderie because she said she wanted to
2: be a bit more fun. Can you guys think of a moment kind of in Hone's history that that you're comfortable sharing where as you were kind of pursuing growth, you felt a decision point around living out your values and pursuing growth?
1: One example comes to mind in the learning space. There's a lot of different vendors, a lot of different modalities. And mm. the thing that Hone is trying to make as a contribution that's new and different to anybody else is that we are a platform with the world's largest collection of live online classes 100 plus different subjects but we're in a marketplace that's got folks with you know 20,000 asynchronous pre-recorded videos that cover even more topics and so i think what has been tested for us over the years is should we add asynchronous video and really blow out the catalog? Or should we stay true to the modality that we believe in and the skills that we believe in, being power skills, leadership management, inclusion? And so there's been a tension, I think, over the years and on the team about where our focus is or how diverse our focus is. One of the things in the mission statement around human connection, not just learning, but doing that in a way that's connected with other humans made us stay true to this idea of a live synchronous group collaborative experience where you're learning with other humans human skills as opposed to taking you know watching videos on your own um, and so that influenced the product roadmap to say let's just go deep on that group training or learning experience and make it the best it can be build the catalog to be as big as it can be build the tech to be as helpful as it can be to our customers as they're depicting that modality. Um, and so it was useful to refer back to the mission to to make that big decision.
0: You know, Tom actually hit the nail on the head. That was something I was going to talk to as well. Um, the other thing I will say, though, you know, personally, I believe that diversity breeds innovation. And I think as an mm. organization, internally, we've been really intentional on how we build the team in order to to build the best product possible for our customers. Mm. So in, ter- in terms of how we recruit and develop our people, etc., there has been a focus on diversity and inclusion as we think about uh, bringing people together from uh, different walks of life, different educational experiences, uh, working experiences, where they live, things of that nature. So I think that's truly had an impact on how we continue to develop our classes, our our platform, and how we think about the use case for our customers.
2: How, if at all, has being a female co-founder affected how you've chosen to show up or not show up?
0: I will preface with the fact that not only I'm a female founder, I'm a woman of color, mm. and I am a member of the LGBTQ community. So I, I checked mm. a couple of those diversity boxes. I'm just going for it. Let me just go through the whole list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you think about it, you uh, you touched on this earlier, Thomas. Yes. right? So when you think about uh, the percentage of women entrepreneurs that are being funded, or those uh, people of color, or those from the LGBTQ community, all are under 2%. And so the like of somebody like me being able to raise capital to build something like this, I was going up a, up a hill. And I think that being a part of these communities, these incredible communities, has instilled a sense of resilience. I not only owe it to, to my communities, to my family, to myself, but also for the next generation who we're building this swore. because I, I don't take it lightly or for granted. I know that, you know, there are challenges with it, but I think that because of that, I've had an opportunity to really kind of take note of the joys of winning with Mm. regards to being an entrepreneur. There's more to it. I think that, you know, in in terms of some of the challenges around, you know, pitching and fundraising and even as, as a woman in business, assertiveness, things of that nature that come into play, there's always a fine line on how we deal with those specific instances. But I'm also very lucky that I have a team and a co-founder that's been extremely supportive.
2: I so appreciate both the tightrope you've been on and and like you've said, what your success means. We talk about how much the world has changed in the last three years, right? I think we both, it feels like we've gone from a world in which we all recognize diversity was important, but kind of where it felt and where it fell along the lines was unclear. Then we have 2020, we have George Floyd. All of a sudden, DEI is the most important thing on anyone's agenda, right? We can't get enough. And I'm sure you saw this affect what your customers were asking for. And now we look like we are swinging back in the other direction, at least what I hear from a lot of leaders. What has it looked like for home? First, forget about dealing with your customers to navigate that world.
1: What served us well is that going all the way back to 2018, Uh, So predating any of the 2020 prominence, it was a founding principle for both Savina and myself that we wanted to build a diverse organization. And having a a co-founder like Savina, who's just a tremendous advocate and role model, both internally to the company and externally for that, has allowed us to just build that into our DNA. And that will continue regardless of the cycles in the news or in the political environment. I think it's influenced a bunch of our decisions as we've built the company. The first being who we raise investment from. What I saw with Fangio was culture really starts at the very top, meaning you know the board level. And so wanting to build a diverse board, that also has these values. And so uh, our seed investor, Aileen Lee, is known for being a champion of diversity in various ways. And she's helped you know, right from the start, make that clear to uh, you know the organization and and what we're building. So I think that's set a great tone. Proud to say that you know, the company's majority female. It would skew even more female if we you know, include our coach community in that. So we feel like on the high-level numbers, we're doing well, both on that dimension and others. And I hold myself accountable, hold us as a team accountable to that at the board level uh, where we report it, I think is important. We've really tried to hire executives that manifest that value as well opting for folks who've got track records of building diverse teams themselves so that they can do that, particularly in difficult areas of the business like engineering, where it can be hard to build diversity. We have an incredible CTO. He's a veteran himself. He's Canadian. I'm not sure if that counts as a diversity demo. (laughs) (laughs) He's been brilliant at building a really diverse engineering team which is tremendous. And I would say, like, we definitely feel the pressure, right, as a company that's out in the world trying to help other companies develop their leaders, managers, and posture and inclusion with our DEI classes which have been some of our biggest selling classes over the last few years. And you're right, you know, there has been a wave of interest and to some degree it is waning, but what we wanted to do very early on for our content was say, yes, there should be some deep dive dedicated classes to DEI. And we're always going to run those and we're always going to, you know, see need for that. But what's almost more important is to weave the principles of DEI into the core manager training and core power skills training so that it's ever present as it should be in the workplace. And mm. so even if uh, the, the market for dedicated DEI is, is changing, uh, we feel like we've embedded those principles in the other work that we're doing with companies. Um, so that allows it to, to continue.
0: Tom had pulled on the thread that I was going to, and that really is around the fact that even though organizations might not be investing in DEIB specific programs, or there seems to be a waning of that, we certainly, as an organization, have identified the fact that there's a need for management leadership skill development that incorporates the fundamentals in the essence of DEIB. And that's something that we've been able to weave into all of our programs.
2: What's one thing you'd ask yourselves to do exactly the same as you've done? And what's one thing you'd think about doing differently?
0: Reiterating the fact that taking risks can be rewarding. When I had founded Hone, who founded Hone, I should rephrase. At that point, I was a VP at a fairly established venture-backed organization. I had, a, at that point, Gemma was two or three years old. I was, I was pretty situated, you know. Mm. Having a, a stable existence, this idea of being able to jump off the side of a cliff and, and found something, not knowing kind of what that exactly means. I think mm-hmm. I had recency bias having worked at organizations that had been venture backed. I was just like, Oh, I don't want to say it's going to be easy, but yeah. I, I know the ropes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't realize what you're getting into with it because it is a journey it's kind of like when your parents say like you'll know when you get older yeah you'll know when mm. you're a founder <laughs> so i think mm. the second thing is be confident you've earned the right to be here when things are tough you know also as a, as a female founder there's moments that i'm like should i be here you know tom mm. has had previous success
1: to so, you know, put it beautifully i think in those early days giving so much of yourself and your identity to the startup, and then that never really changes. And so I think it's really great to get to know people on a human level when you start
2: out so that you can enjoy the journey together. What do you hope is the same about Hone in five years? And what do you hope is different?
1: You know, what we know won't change will be the mission, right? Driving growth and human connection for teams everywhere. I think the everywhere part is what we see in the future um, in terms of being able to reach more professionals and frontline workers with the kind of career changing even life changing skills that uh, leadership, management, inclusion, communication and power skills can be. Um, I'm excited that we're adding new products to the offering, which is more of a Peloton style experience where people are dropping into classes uh, on the topics and times that work for them. As well as companies building and assigning uh, programming within that. And so that just helps us reach a new level of scale and diversity and variety when it comes to content. So I see a lot of growth um, and development in that product. And then I think there's really interesting ways that, that we can continue to serve our customers in adjacent verticals. Um, you know, typically it can be a bit of a nightmare as an HR leader or a learning leader to manage many different vendors. We already consolidate a lot of that for people by being the, you know, the manager training vendor of choice and the DEI vendor of choice and the IC communication skills vendor of choice, but like are there other ways that we can consolidate and give them a more joined up experience? So you know, a lot of exciting interest in learning and development and always kind of top of people's minds. So us as a company, you know, how can we continue to build out ways that we support companies Mm. and customers? of the ways that they need to serve their members
0: I think in summary, I mean, what I hope doesn't change is our passion and vision for what we're building, mm-hmm. which is very similar to what Tom said. I think that what I do hope changes is this might be an interesting response, but impact. I'm hoping it's even greater wider mm-hmm. than what we're currently seeing today, obviously with the growth of our, our products, the number of people that we're working with and partnering with in terms of our customer base. I think what's interesting about scale is also standardization. For organizations. So as we're thinking about growing partnerships, customers, it's with understanding that we're able to have success, uh, with our management and leadership programs, uh, you know, power skill development because of the fact that we're standardizing this type of training within an organization it could range from, you know, 500 employees to 200,000 employees. And that impact is, is real. If you think about the number of people that those individuals are interacting with and managing, and that's mm. what I'm truly excited about. That mm. impact that we can have not only within organizations, but more broadly. And then when you start to think about opportunities beyond that, so you think about socioeconomic impact that we might have on individuals that might not have had access to this type of training and development earlier within their own careers. And now they're kind of climbing their their own corporate ladder, you know, to management and, and, and C-level uh, positions. Because of the training that they're they're getting through the home platform. So maybe that's not a five-year plan, maybe that's
1: a 10-year one.
2: I'm curious if there's a decision for each of you as you look back in the journey of home that you would have made differently.
1: It's interesting. You know, we're in a strange market environment right now. You know, there's the contrast with the highs and exuberance of the kind of late 2020 2021 era and you know just the sharpening of pencils and tighter budgets of you know late 2022 and 2023 so it's just quite a lot of whiplash I think for a lot of startups particularly selling b2b particularly selling to venture backed technology companies which is a you know a chunk of our customer base and so what we're seeing is that our lower cost product our membership product is the fastest growing offering that we have right now because it fits those budgets and can actually cover a bunch of use cases for a single subscription. Um, and that product has been with us since 2020 is actually one of our responses to the turmoil of the, um, you know, mid 2020. And what we found late 2020 that really ignited our growth through 2021 was combining it with our private programs product as a like a multi-product offering. And because private programs really were the premium experience that drove most of our revenue, they got most of the investment in terms of engineering, product development, content development. And it's now in this different environment that we've realized private programs are in a good place. That's really tripled down on the membership experience to build new features like this assignment feature or social features within it, integrations and so on. So that we can make that as good a product or even a better product than the private programs. And I would love to be further along with that right now um, if we'd started, you know, six months ago. So yeah, the the shift between the two products based on the market environment with a magic wand would have started Sooner. That's one that comes to mind.
0: It's funny that Tom mentioned uh, the 2020 and our shift. I think what was interesting is in response to COVID uh, and what was mm-hmm. going on there, we're like, okay, you know, organizations at that point for a good two to three months, kind of every everything was on on hold in terms mm-hmm. of spend. And I think that our focus, uh, I, I, we, we, uh, I don't want to say we completely pivoted focus, but we certainly invested heavily in uh, a B two C product at that point uh mm-hmm. during 2020. You know, we had built this product as a B2B business and a platform. But I think it was a learning lesson for us as an organization. What was really great is the fact that we learned quickly. So we put something out there, we were able to see whether or not it was going to work within the market. And then from there, be able to make uh, or pivot, you know, given those learnings. And I think that's something that from that, kind of use case for that that experience, we've been able to implement those those lessons learned as uh, as we continue to grow our business and get the right finger on the pulse with regards to the product and what where we're investing our time and energy.
2: How do you navigate that inherent paradox for each of you?
1: Yeah. I mean hindsight's always 2020. Yeah. And you're right, like going back to this time year ago or a little longer ago, you know, we, we were coming off the back of 2021, which was like a 10X year-on-year growth period for us, which was just phenomenal. And you're like, don't change anything. Uh, This is going great. But I think you know what gave us the reflection or the courage to shuffle some investments was, I don't think it's a transferable principle. It's like, okay, I can see the current trajectory and the current product and how this plays out. And that is one future that is exciting and great, but it's predictable. And we've got the learnings and the assumptions around that um there's this other uh, kind of wild card product that in many ways could have more upside for our customers and our business and so if this first product's in a good place let's make some bets and experiment and invest in the second product to just really give it a good go and see what learnings we get and if it works then we can lean in even further if it doesn't or if it isn't quite where we would hope it could be yeah, you know, we've, we've always got that first product trajectory uh, to fall back on or the other things that we can try. So I, I think the idea is you know, once the future in one world is clear and you really want to change the trajectory, that's when it can be time to make a bet. When it comes to listening to customers, I mean, you can come from a product background, like it is really hard because it's so tempting to just build what they ask you for. Dismissing that out of hand. It, it, It's not right because you go you can go a long way just by listening to your customers building what they want, frankly. But you've got to integrate that with the business vision, the business model, and you know the financial picture. I think it's you know the classic product management approach to listening for the products or the need, uh, sorry, listening for the problems or the needs or the jobs to be done, hearing that behind any specific suggestions that they give you, and then synthesizing that level across customers to then build. Solutions that integrate all that different input uh, rather than just kind of jump and build what they ask you um, as a point solution.
0: I will say that it's also important that, you know, as we're building products, as we're building a business, we tend to get sometimes get into siloed thinking. We just are really focused on our own product, what it could do, et cetera. So I think it's important and something that we've done at home is, is just be able to hear what's going on in the market more broadly. Go to industry events, listen to uh, experts via podcasts, things of that nature, to understand kind of what's what's new, what's exciting, what what do people want to know more about, uh, mm. and then have those conversations, and then bring that to the table, you know, to the internal teams as we're thinking about new product features and advancements, things of that nature. So we have a more well-rounded view of what we could potentially build internally, and so. Obviously, in addition to understanding kind of customer outcomes and what they're looking for, just being out there at events and different trade publications, things of that nature, to understand truly what's going on more broadly is going to be helpful as you're thinking about scaling, you know, the product and, and the
1: organization. Yeah. Just to build on that, I think tying the two together, sort of a great tweet by Paul Graham recently talking about vision. Because when you're an early founder, you talking the VCs, you're being measured on your vision. And yes, vision is really important. You need to be able to articulate a version of the future that you see and you see your business growing into. But really, you know, the nuts and bolts or day to day of building a startup are about seeking truth. And that truth might be different to your particular kind of made up vision. And to Savina's point, you get that truth by being out in the market, by listening to people, by trying things out and finding out for real if they work or not. And you shouldn't, I think, be dismayed if things don't unfold exactly the way that you thought they would, because it is a truth-seeking process.
0: The one thing I will add to that, though, is I think the great founders are those that are able to kind of cut through the noise. Mm-hmm. You're getting it from everywhere. You're getting it mm-hmm. from customers, uh, internal teams uh, that have ideas. Obviously, uh, as I had mentioned before, going out into the market, understanding uh, more broadly where you know what where other organizations or competitors are focused, etc. But just being able to kind of cut through that noise, be able to synthesize all that information that's coming in, and be able to come up with a couple of very specific and or uh, a, a list of prioritized initiatives. You know, because there is no playbook. There's nothing that <laughs> there's there's nothing that comes out of it when you're when you're starting something from nothing. You mm. know, it's not like, OK, well, here, these, so this is how you make your decision. This is your decision process mm. when you have like mm. a thousand things that are coming at you all at once.
2: What does that look like? Like if I'm someone listening to this and I'm early and I'm like, I want to be able to cut through the noise. I think one of the important things that uh,
0: a leader or founder can do in order to to cut through the noise, I think, is um, I like to document things. I'm big on, on jotting down notes and having something to reference and so as I'm thinking about, uh, the competitive landscape or space, when I'm thinking about what we're trying to prioritize from a product perspective, mm-hmm. uh, I like to write things down. Also, as I, I create executive briefs for conversations I'm having with customers, as an example mm-hmm. of like, okay, what are the outcomes they're looking for? What, uh, like, like if they have a specific wish list, things of that nature,
2: is there anything that you would want our listeners to know or understand either about you or the entrepreneurial journey? For me personally, there's, no
1: more fulfilling work than building things with or for other people. From the outside of the startup, I think people can see that you're building a product, building a business, and that that is the building. But I would also say there's a lot of gratification in the building of the internal company and the culture and the people mm-hmm. that you bring the journey with you and the impact that you have on their lives as well as your customers' lives. And so if folks are builders, there's just so many different dimensions to building I think focusing on the gratification that building in all those forms brings is a great way to enjoy the journey as you go because you're always adding a brick, uh, you know, brick by brick to what um, you built, not just focused on a particular outcome. And so that's something that I remind myself of day to day is the, you know, the virtue in building uh, in different ways. And so we would, you know, share that with others if that's uh, a helpful thing.
2: Regular listeners know that we end every episode of Venture Visionaries with our recurring segment, Spoken Stories, where we get to hear from the people who make the organizations we feature work. I'm really excited about this feature where we got to talk to a couple of honies, as I like to call them, about how Hone's values truly come alive. Here's what they had to say.
0: I've seen Hone demonstrate the value of compassion, both internally with its employees and externally in its interaction with customers. But the memory that stands out for me was about a year ago when we lost a fellow honey to a medical emergency. I remember the weight of sorrow in the meeting uh, we had that day. What I also remember was how Hone showed empathy, understanding, and care for our well-being. They ensured that we could easily access our mental health benefits, they offered internal support, and they checked in on us individually. Amazingly, they also worked hard to coordinate any support and resources needed by the family. Just means a lot to me to see how much my company cares about us as humans. This compassion has continued to show up in the form of honey sharing updates about the family and an award that's presented each year in her honor.
3: So at Hone, one of our values is camaraderie, which means we enjoy our journey together. And one of the ways I've experienced camaraderie at Hone is during my weekly donut chats with my coworkers. For those of you who don't know, Donut is an app that randomly matches you with two other people at your company and schedules a 30-minute Zoom call where the three of you can shoot the breeze about anything that comes up. I've had the most interesting and fun conversations Um, through donut and in my donut chat today, I had a conversation with two coworkers that was both silly and thought provoking at the same time. It brought a lot of levity to the end of a long week for all of us, um, and made me really appreciate the playfulness that is at the heart of home's culture. One of my favorite values here at home is camaraderie, which means that we enjoy this journey together. And we started a relatively new tradition that I have loved um, that really helps to build connection uh, across functions and across teammates. It's called Dear Honey, and we integrate it into every all hands. Um, what happens is we get a chance to be paired with someone random, usually not someone that's on our immediate team. And we get 10 minutes on a breakout session. um, And we have an opportunity to share a recent project that we've been working on. Um, It's a chance to ask for feedback or input on something that we're working on or a challenge that we're facing. Or we can use the time to catch up um, on something at work or something in life. And it's been such a fun way to be able to connect and reconnect with my teammates, whom I don't work with on a daily basis. Um, And it's really injected some creative perspectives on projects that I've been working on. I'm inspired and motivated by my colleagues on a daily basis. And I'm so glad that we uh, hold camaraderie in such high regard at Cone. Character and competence are two of the Hone values that I see consistently come to life, particularly through the fact that all of us Honeys are able to access all of our membership classes, and we're encouraged to take at least one class a month so that we can continue to develop our own skills through the amazing classes that Hone offers. It's something that I've taken advantage of, both kind of our Hallmark classes, things on giving feedback, having influence, and then also our master classes on really amazing topics like imposter syndrome or storytelling with data. And so I just love that Hone can walk the talk when it comes to democratizing access to learning, right? We're hoping that everybody has the ability to access really amazing learning for their development, and they make sure that we as employees also have access to that development. It's something I really value.
2: And that's it for this week, dear listener. Thank you as always for the gift of your time. And remember, your life is too short to spend on anyone else's values other than your own. Choose wisely. I'll see you next week. Thomas.